But first to Italy. With the exit of controversial Silvio Berlusconi as prime minister last month, Italy is trying hard and fast to pick up the pieces of its crumbling economy, with 30% of its young people unemployed and no growth in the past decade, the new technocratic government of Mario Monti has its work cut out for it. Monti has promised Europe and Italians that he'll liberalize the country's economy. But the vested interests are many, and nowhere as entrenched as in the country's intricate system of professioni. These medieval-like professional guilds and associations protect the privileges of everyone, from taxi drivers to pharmacists to lawyers. They keep out the competition and block young people from getting jobs. Megan Williams has this report on some who've dared to take on the professional castes and who hope now more than ever that Italy's new government will finally break the monopoly. Siamo in diretta. Salve, un saluto ai nostri... Forty-year-old blogger Mario Adinolfi sits on a couch in his small living room in central Rome. His laptop propped against his large chest. Adinolfi is a kind of journalistic vigilante for the young here. He has a magazine that lampoons Italy's older leaders. And each afternoon, like today, he goes live on the web, railing against what he calls Italy's geriocracy. Politicians, business people and professionals, the oldest in Europe, who through archaic rules and rampant nepotism have effectively shut out the country's best and brightest young people from decent jobs. On today's show, Adinolfi takes aim at Italy's Ordini Professionali, the professional associations of journalists, lawyers, doctors and engineers. Adinolfi asks his viewers if they've ever tried to become part of one. Dozens of messages pop up on his screen. Uh, Marco Esposito says in our chat, uh, you need to have your dad as a lawyer, uh, uh, your dad as a journalist, if you want to be a lawyer and a journalist. Megan, in Italy, this problem is called casta. La casta, the caste. It's a word that always comes up here to describe guilds, which are seen as untouchable clubs that ferociously protect the privileges of their members. Take the journalist guild with its 25,000 members, just a fraction of those who actually work as journalists in Italy. Members, and only members, have the right to a good salary and pension, to be promoted to editors, and dozens of other perks. To become a member, you need to know someone, a relative, a politician, someone in power. Like the tens of thousands who start out in their career each year, Adinolfi didn't. I started in 1989 as a freelance, no, uh, no insurance, no health insurance, no pension, no, actually no wage. I worked every single day for 40 months for a newspaper. At one day, the editor of the newspaper called me and told me that uh, he had enough with me. And so that was the end. I, will, I, I, I had been fired. Actually, I, I had not been fired because I didn't have a contract. So I just was without a job. Unlike most young people who simply move on to try their luck with some other paper, Adinolfi sued, and under Italy's notoriously slow justice system, eight years later, he won. If I want to be a journalist, I need to try to be a journalist without a law that says that if the ordinary doesn't give me a stamp, uh, I, I can't write. It's crazy. My appeal? 
Not far from Andinolfi's home and just steps away from the Roman Forum, 38-year-old pharmacist Francesca Peluso helps some Danish tourists choose toe separators for their weary feet. For the past four years, Peluso has been selling everything from aspirin to skin creams to cough drops from her pharmacy. But despite the fact that she's a registered pharmacist who graduated with top marks, she can't sell prescription drugs. That's because under rules set up almost a century ago by the Italian Pharmacists Guild, only pharmacists who actually own pharmacies can sell prescription drugs. But here's the catch. The Guild's rules allow only one pharmacy for every 5,000 inhabitants or so, guaranteeing a virtual monopoly for those with a license, a privilege one in four of the 80,000 registered pharmacists in Italy have. As a result, licenses tend to stay in the family or else sell for millions of dollars. In fact, the only reason why Peluso is able to sell aspirin in her pharmacy is because she runs something called a parapharmacy. It's a second-class category the center-left government created five years ago in an attempt to loosen up the profession's grip on the sector. For the parapharmacy, you need the pharmacist inside. But the pharmacist in the parapharmacy can't sell... Um, it's a Prescription medicine. Yes. In the pharmacy, yes. But the... The people, the pharmacist, is the same. Everybody, you're just as qualified. Yeah. But if you... I work in my para, if, if I work in a para pharmacy, I am a pharmacist half. Peluso says, despite her love of the profession, she regrets her choice. If I could do it again, I would not choose pharmacy. It's better doctor, simple, and you have a job. A good job, and you are a doctor, not a, like a, a magazziniere. Shopkeeper. Shopkeeper, yes. For example, a transaction of 370,000 euros, okay? In a large formal office in an upscale neighborhood in Rome, Marina Varlese goes over the minimum fees the Notary Association of Italy recommends their members charge. Uh, I mean, notaries in Italy take care of mainly of uh, real estate transactions, but also we are experts of family law, heritage law, um, and uh, of course company law. Because in Italy, if you, you can buy a property, but then if you want to have it registered, you have to go to a notary. Varlese is part of a select group of professionals who have capped their number at 6,000 for all of Italy. That's compared to 250,000 lawyers here. Since notaries are legally required for all real estate transactions and many administrative dealings, they're virtually guaranteed a bustling business with fees that reflect the amount involved in the transaction. Today in Italy, most notaries make about $400,000 a year, about 20 times the average Italian salary. But Varlesi defends her professional association. She says despite its reputation as being a closed caste based on nepotism, only 20% of notaries are the sons or daughters of fellow notaries. I don't want to say that we are the best <laughs> because it looks like I'm very proud. But the system really works very well. It's very efficient. It's very quick. And I don't even think that it's expensive. I don't know. I don't, I don't have this feeling that it's very expensive. So far, notaries and other professions have been able to keep their guilds exclusive. 
In Italy's current parliament, 50% of the representatives are members of some sort of professional association, and they've resisted almost all liberalizing attempts. But economics professor Giuseppe Ragusa at Lewis University in Rome says Italy's youth is paying a huge price, and so is the whole country. The problem is the negative effect on the economy. You enter into the profession when you're already old. In other parts of the world, when you're 50, 55, you're ready to do other activities. Instead, you enter into the profession where you're already physically old to keep certain rhythm. So there is a misallocation of resources. It's not that young is beautiful because we think young people are smarter. I think young people have more energy. They can work longer hours. They are more creative. They have a more open mind. And instead, we have a system where you reach at the top of the profession when you're already behind your game. But with a crippling debt and a recession looming, Ragusa says Italy can no longer afford to be behind its game. It needs to at last tap the creativity and energy of its young people to crack open the medieval guilds that have stifled competition and growth. It's a task the new government under Mario Monti has said it will take on. But it will be up to Italy's older leaders, those politicians in their 60s and 70s and 80s, who will have to vote to approve liberalizing the guilds. And so far, those elders have been the country's biggest economic roadblock. For America Abroad, I'm Megan Williams in Rome. I'm Catherine Lamfer, and you're listening to Europe in Crisis, from Athens to Rome, on America Abroad. Here with me now to talk about the challenges facing Italy's new government is James Walston, a professor of international relations at the American University in Rome. Professor Walston, thanks for joining us. Hello, and good to be with you. We just heard this report from Megan Williams on the economic challenges of facing this new government. Italy has a staggering 30% unemployment rate for its young people, also coupled with no growth. And there's a cultural wrinkle to this, and that is the caste system or the different professional guilds that can keep a lot of young people out of work. How entrenched is that guild system? Oh, very entrenched. The number of professions in which you have to jump a very high barrier to get into is huge. And it goes from the professions like notaries and lawyers to journalists to taxi drivers. There was an attempt by the present leader of the centre-left party, the PD, Bersani, when he was minister in the last government, to take on the Rome taxi drivers. You would think that would be relatively easy because taxi drivers are used by relatively few people. Nobody has a particular love of taxi drivers and very few of them vote for the centre-left here in Rome. But Bersani was not able to break up that closed shop so that a taxi licence is worth thousands and thousands of euros and they're not going to give that up and they give it to their children. I want to look at some other components of the culture there as well. There's a rather infamous bureaucracy in in Italian life. You live there. I'm sure you can attest to it. (laughs) I'm afraid, yes. Uh, It's one of the banes of Italian life. We We have wonderful coffee. We do have the most wonderful art in the world, but we also have to fight bureaucracy. And that is something which is not just frustrating in personal terms. It is also a very serious break on economic development. And that's one of the reasons why the growth is so bad. In Italy, if you look at any of the measures, and there are various international think tanks which produce comparisons with how easy it is to do business in different countries, the top areas 
tend to be Singapore and Hong Kong, where it will cost you $100 or so and a few hours to start a business. The United States usually comes in three, four, five. Italy is somewhere down in the 70s or 80s out of the 150 countries usually surveyed, uh, where it takes you months, if not years, and many thousands of euros to set up a business. What sort of reforms could the citizens of Italy be facing in the days ahead as they try to get out of their economic crisis? The first and probably biggest one will be pension reform, something which should have been done over the last 20 years. Italians will have to work longer and receive a smaller proportion of their salary when they retire. That is definitely going to happen. There will be some sort of wealth tax. There will be a number of measures to make both employing and firing easier. These, these are the fairly big things. And there will be, there already have been, big cuts uh, in health and education and a lot of other things. So there will be a lot of belt tightening over the next year and probably more. But if this is a country that literally even a taxi driver is in a guild and no one wants to see a change to that, if there is slow to no growth in the past decade, in part, I would argue, because there is no ability for the economy or the market to flow freely, how is the Monte government supposed to push through pension reform or, or wealth tax? Well, the last time there was pension reform was in the midst of a major major crisis, and that was in the 90s. And it was also done by a technical government, by a non-elected prime minister, uh, Dini. The sort of possible consequences of not doing these reforms are so desperate, and Italians are beginning to realize this, uh, that they will accept it. Not all the reforms, and it's not that Italy will come out next year bright and shiny with with a beautiful economy, but it will survive because the consequences of not going through some of these reforms are just too too dreadful to, to think of. Professor Walston, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleasure being with you. That was America Abroad's Catherine Lanfer speaking with James Walston, professor at the American University in Rome. Coming up, we head to Greece, a country teetering on the edge of a social, economic, and political abyss. I'm Ray Suarez, and you're listening to Europe in Crisis from Athens to Rome on America Abroad.